Oh my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict Ironjaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. That Blank is the killer. Hello and welcome to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast where I, your witch summoned host, Josh Baker, cover six new to me horror movies with a random spooky topic seven at the end. I decided to go all witch crazy for this episode, which includes action witches, ordinary witches, and cursed witches. Hop on a broomstick and follow me into the clouds as I yell about some horror movies so you can hear me as we zoom along. Number 1, The Witch, Part 1, Subversion, 2020, directed by Hoon Jung Park. A young girl escapes being experimented on. She ends up on a farm and takes the name Ko Ja Yoon. She lays low, but goes on a reality TV show after her parents fall on hard times. Her mom is struggling with Alzheimer's and her dad's cattle are losing value. Ko Ja Yoon is also dying and needs a bone marrow transplant so she's looking for her biological parents. People from her past hunt her down. One group is trying to kill her. She bests them. Another group captures her. She's given a temporary cure and asked to join the group. The cure allows her to use her powers to their full extent. Ko Yoon then kills everyone. She baited them into revealing themselves and healing her. She gives her mom some of the medicine she found and seeks out the sister of the head scientist that made her the way she is. An experimental organization and some of their subjects are the killers. Some of the subjects go on to kill seemingly innocent people. For example, they kill an old scientist who had some part in the experiments, but they also killed his family. I know, I know. Perfect revenge, gotta kill the family, and you definitely gotta kill them first so scientist man sees their corpses before he dies. I understand revenge and all, but the family was technically innocent. I'm not putting Ko Yoon on the list. She didn't kill any random family members and had to, pet warning, kill all those dogs. What? Yeah, when she was a kid, her and the other experiment children were baptized by violence. In one flashback, a bunch of German shepherds are released on Ko Yoon, and she had to kill them all to survive. It's not all that graphic. The Witch Part 1 Subversion For simplicity's sake, I'll just call it Subversion. I could refer to it as The Witch, but I think that would cause confusion. I saw The Witch in theaters, or I'd include it on this episode. Short review of Robert Eggers' The Witch, or Vivich. It's great. The only thing I didn't like about that movie was human form Black Phillip. I wish it was just implied that the goat was talking. Much creepier. Check out That Witch if you haven't. Now on to talking about Subversion. Subversion is a well-made movie. Its plot is something I've seen a million times. It kind of feels like Korean X-Men. I mean, Ko Yoon even ends up talking to someone in a wheelchair at the end, 
who may or may not be wearing a wig. You could easily take the same exact plot, change some names, and boom, you got a Wolverine movie. Subversion is much better than Wolverine Origins, there's no doubt about that. I've just seen the character who's been given superpowers due to inhumane experiments taking revenge plot a bunch of times. Now, Subversion does tell the story incredibly well. Before seeing the movie, I watched one trailer that made it look like it belonged in the Underworld series. By the time I was able to watch it, the trailer was pretty fuzzy in my mind. I'd say that at least two-thirds of Subversion are spent making you care about Ko Ji-yoon and her family. You think she's an amnesiac with hidden potential. She must not remember stuff. If she did, why the hell would she give away her position by doing magic on a reality TV show? She needs to find bone marrow donors to survive, I guess. Subversion is a slow movie leading up to the action. That's not a bad thing. The twist that Koji Yoon planned everything from choosing her adoptive parents to baiting the organization into revealing themselves and healing her is fantastic. Dami Kim played Koji Yoon. She's great. She starts off as this timid girl until the reveal when she makes the switch to full on psycho. Woo Sik Choi of Parasite fame played one of the other enhanced kids. Well, he doesn't play the young kid version, but you get what I mean. He's credited as male English-speaking witch on IMDb, which reminds me, some characters in the movie randomly say lines in English. This never felt natural and my brain hated it. When I'm focusing on subtitles, then someone says a quick snippet in English, then goes right back to speaking in Korean, I'd usually miss what was in English. My brain didn't have enough time to switch modes. I might just be an idiot though, we all know that. The kids are called witches and Koji Yoon is the most OP one. Here's abilities she's shown to have. Super intelligence, being able to sense people from far away, telekinesis, teleportation, super strength, super speed, fast healing, insane spatial awareness. I'll explain the last one. She's able to land headshots on a bunch of goons in a room without even looking at them. That's probably not even everything, but Koji Yoon is OP. She dispatches the other witches with ease. All she needed was a little brain blast juice. No, I haven't seen Limitless. Technically, the brain blast juice just allows Koji Yoon to use the full extent of her powers without her brain exploding. It doesn't give her new powers. The action in Subversion is shot well with effects work that's good enough at portraying the crazy strength of the witch characters as they brawl it out. The effects work for the fists and kicks being strong enough to break concrete aren't perfect, but they worked for me. The oomph was there, which I personally find to be the most important aspect of portraying super strength. Subversion takes its time, which might turn off some viewers, but I found the journey to be worth the climax. Consider checking out The Witch Part 1 Subversion if you're looking for a good take on an old story. This may turn into a trilogy, which I'm here for. Number 2, The Witches, 1990, directed by Nicholas Roeg. A kid named Luke stays with his grandma after his parents die in a car accident. They go to England and stay at a hotel. Turns out, witches are having a convention there. The Grand High Witch has made a potion that turns the drinker into a mouse. A kid named Bruno is transformed. Luke sees all of this. Luke is eventually caught and turned into a mouse. With a little help from his grandma, Luke obtains a vial of the potion and puts it in the witch's soup. 
the witches turn into mice and are exterminated. A witch that was betrayed by the others turns Luke back into a boy. A car crash and the witches are the killers. I haven't read Roald Dahl's book, The Witches, which this is based on. Turns out Luke stays a mouse in the book and is happy about it since he only wants to burden his grandma with watching him. And due to the short lifespan of mice, they'll both die around the same time. That's bleak. I see why they changed the downer ending for the movie. Roald Dahl was pissed about the change. The original ending is unarguably more impactful. I went in knowing nothing about the premise. All I knew is that there would be witches. I deduced that with my very inquisitive brain. Did I expect the witches to be loaded with insane mouse action? Nope. When I saw Jim Henson was involved, I was confused. I had seen pictures of Angelica Huston in full Grand Witch form, where she looks like the personification of a hairy ballsack. I mean that as a compliment. The makeup effects for grotesque old witch form are amazing. I wasn't sure if Huston was the one under the prosthetics. It was indeed her. In short, she thought it was awful being encased in all that rubber under hot lights. It made her want to cry. When she's not in hairy living ball sack form, Angelica Huston is absolutely stunning. She's styled perfectly and makes everyone else look like trolls in comparison. Where was I going with this? Oh yeah, so I saw the makeup effects for that character, which are great, but I thought to myself, why would Jim Henson get involved just for that? The mouse puppets, that's why. I'm not going to go as far as to say the mouse puppets are indistinguishable from the real mice that were used, but the puppets look incredible. The puppeteering is perfect. There were three different size puppets used for the mice, mouse sized, rat sized, and hand puppet sized. Hand puppet size wasn't used all that much. Actual mice, uh, they might have been rats, are the real stars of the movie. I wonder if any vermin were hurt performing some of the crazy stunts like crawling down high curtains and hanging upside down on small cylindrical objects. I hope not. I thought I'd be able to find more information on their handling, but there's not much. Gore? There's a little bit. The Grand High Witch crushes another witch that's been turned into a mouse that tries to warn the others. Green blood explodes out from under the High Witch's shoe. I'm surprised she didn't realize she killed a witch. Humans don't have green blood. After the witches transform into mice, Rowan Atkinson, who plays a hotel manager, starts taking out some with a cleaver. There's red blood on the cleaver. Do only some of the witches have green blood? Mouse Luke has the tip of his tail chopped off, so maybe it was his blood? There was a lot of it, though. There's not much gore in this children's movie, which makes sense. When the Grand Witch turns into a mouse, she's disgusting and hairless. She looks like the Sumatran rat monkey in Braindead. I wonder if Peter Jackson was influenced by the witches. Acting? Sure, let's talk acting. I wasn't impressed by anyone. Listen, I love Angelica Huston and Rowan Atkinson. Who doesn't? Huston went with a German accent that was hard to decipher at times. Atkinson got lost amongst the witches. I think overacting would have been beneficial given the premise. Mai Zetterling was a very believable grandma. Jason Fisher played Luke, who came off as more of an alien kid to me than a human one. 
Even though the acting isn't impressive, I didn't hate it. The Witches is worth checking out. I didn't even talk about how disturbing and well done the human-to-mouse transformations are. This would be a great introduction to horror for the Rugrats. Sadly, both Jim Henson and Roald Dahl passed away the year it was released. Number 3, The Witches of Eastwick, 1987, directed by George Miller. Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer end up summoning the devil, Jack Nicholson, to Eastwick. They all get along in a polyamorous relationship until the town dogs on the ladies too much. The ladies abandon Jack after he kills a woman who dunked on them. Turns out, the ladies are pregnant. Jack's sadness turns to anger. He hurts Michelle, so the ladies go back to him. They then take him out with the voodoo doll. The kids, all sons, are born, and Jack is alive to some extent, but the ladies don't let him interact with the kids. Jack Nicholson is the killer. The ladies may have also helped with the cherry spell that kills the trash-talking woman. Yeah, there's this spell that makes a person regurgitate cherries that the caster eats. Eating enough apparently kills the target. The ladies didn't know the spell was happening, so I'm going to stick with blaming Jack. I'm surprised there's only one person killed in the movie. The Witches of Eastwick starts off with Susan Sarandon being sexually assaulted in front of a classroom of band kids. I was sure that her and her friends would kill or at least maim the violator with some kind of hex. I didn't know that George Miller, Mr. Mad Max himself, directed this until after watching it. This was his first Hollywood feature and it seems like Hollywood tried to make everything difficult for him. They even considered firing the guy until Jack Nicholson threatened to walk off. Character names? Nah. When you have this many famous people, I just see famous people. You'd think a movie with Cher, Susan Sarandon, Michelle Pfeiffer, Jack Nicholson, and the biggest star of all, Carol Striaken, who played Lurch in the Addams Family movies, would be good, right? Too much star power to fail. Turns out that's not true. Well, I guess I already knew that since movie 43. I've never actually seen that, though. I wonder if it's as bad as everyone says. It would probably be an interesting drunk watch. The Witches of Eastwick is boring most of the time. It includes fun stuff like when the ladies and Jackie are hanging out learning magic and partying. I feel like the movie has a really bare bones plot, so it's puzzling why it was decided to make it a two hour affair. Ladies with magic summon the devil. The devil makes them stronger. Devil isn't actually a good dude. Ladies turn on the devil. I've seen this movie a few times. One of the most interesting interpretations I've seen of it was Belladonna of Sadness. Don't get me wrong, I don't think Eastwick Witches is a bad movie. It just has too much meandering. When stuff is actually happening, it's a delight. Jack Nicholson played Jack Nicholson as perfectly as he always does. Susie was shy, then outgoing. Michelle was great as a mom of a million kids. Cher is Cher. Everyone is great, but the standout performance for me came from Veronica Cartwright, who played Felicia, the Christian lady that talked mad smack about the ladies. She's unhinged and fantastic. She's been acting for some time. She was in The Birds and Alien. Felicia's demise is strangely abrupt. You see her throw up a bunch of cherry goop. Then we cut to the trio of ladies who let us know she died. She's killed off way too early and off screen. You heard me right, she's killed off off screen. I didn't even have time to say bye Felicia. 
Breaking news, I have just learned that a life-size animatronic puppet of Felicia was made for a very gruesome, spasming, cherry-up-chucking death, which was filmed, but squeamish test audience losers thought it was too disgusting. Since that didn't make the cut, there's not a ton of gore in Eastwick. Felicia falls down some stairs and breaks a leg, which looks gnarly. Michelle has some cuts. There's a little blood splatter as the devil messes with her. That's really all the gore I can remember. I didn't expect Jack Nicholson to turn into a giant monster at the end. Jack the Giant looks fantastically insane and really helped wake me up at the tail end of the movie. The mansion most of the movie takes place in is jaw-dropping. I dug all the locations. Jack Nicholson heard about the role through his then-time girlfriend, Angelica Huston. Oh yeah, we're coming full circle, baby. Huston was recently-ish interviewed by Vulture. I highly recommend reading that piece. Apparently, Bill Murray was going to play the devil originally. I think Jack was the right fit. I almost forgot that at one point in Eastwick, Cher ends up in a bed overflowing with snakes. I guess the devil conjuring some snakes during your sleepy time is better than him straight up cutting up your insides, a la what he does to Michelle. Maybe you can even count the snakes to help you sleep. I don't think they'll be able to jump over a little picket fence though. The Witches of Eastwick doesn't lack interesting sequences, but as a whole, it'll put you right to sleep. I had high hopes, but I have to tell you to skip this one. Dumbass Hollywood should have let George Miller have more freedom, and the test audience that didn't like the cherry barf death extravaganza needs to be banned from ever watching a movie again. Number 4, Practical Magic, 1998, directed by Griffin Dunn. Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman are witch sisters. A past relative started a curse that makes anyone a family member falls in love with die. Sandra wishes for a perfect man. When Sandra grows up, she gets married and has kids. Her husband dies in an accident. Nicole has been partying and ended up with a terrible, abusive guy named Jimmy. Sandra goes to help Nicole escape. Jimmy kidnaps the sisters at gunpoint. Sandra tries to make Jimmy fall asleep by putting some herbs Nicole had for that purpose in his tequila, but accidentally gives him too much, which kills him. The sisters resurrect Jimmy, then promptly kill him again after he continues to be violent. A detective named Gary comes looking for Jimmy. The sisters lie to him. Eventually, Sandra falls in love with Gary, who closes the case after killing Jimmy's spirit, which was exercised from Nicole. A curse that causes accidental death to loved ones is the killer. Sandra and Nicole aren't killers since they killed Jimmy in self-defense. They didn't think the police would side with them since they used poison to kill the horrible, horrible man. I don't remember Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman's character names. I could easily look them up, but while watching the movie, all I saw were the actors. No, I didn't believe they were sisters. They look nothing alike. That doesn't matter, though. I have a weakness for Sandra Bullock. That's definitely why I didn't hate Bird Box as much as I probably should have. I just like her, okay? She seems nice. I went to the Alamo Draft House some time ago when you could still go to a movie theater. During a pre-show, I learned that Nicole Kidman was a BMX whiz kid. I wish I never learned that since now I'm disappointed whenever she doesn't do some sick extreme trick whenever I see her in a movie. I know you can do some, whoa, worthy stunts, Nicole. Stop holding out on me. 
at least give me a kickflip. You can write a kickflip into any movie if you try hard enough. And then the T-800 did a sick-ass kickflip into the molten vat and seamlessly transitioned into a submerging thumbs up. Practical Magic is the name of the movie. I'd say a good 99% of the magic showcased is not practical. Bringing an abusive ex that held you at gunpoint back to life. Performing a banishing spell with a bunch of PTA moms. Cursing generations to lose their loved ones because one guy stood you up. None of that sounds very practical to me. Sandra did use magic to stir her beverage. Now that's practical. For some reason, I had it in my head that the whole plot of this movie was as follows. Two witch sisters both fall in love with the same man. That's not what happens at all. No idea why I thought that was the case. There's a lot of dancing in Practical Magic. One outbreak of dance is brought on by porch liquor. The sisters' aunts randomly find a bottle of tequila on the porch, which turns into an impromptu margarita midnight. Sure, Jimmy's vengeful spirit left it there, but you can't say no to porch liquor. I'm normally in bed by midnight these days, but am interested in partaking in a midnight margarita myself in the near future. The performances in Practical Magic are great. Everyone's having a good time. Sandra Bullock plays the quirky character she always does. Nicole Kidman plays the rebel who's also vulnerable. Goran Visenjic was a spot-on super creep as Jimmy. Aiden Quinn plays Gary, the perfect wish man. And I don't get it. I'd get a refund on that wish, girl. His acting is fine, I guess, but he didn't wow me. It seems like not that much time passes between Sandra's husband dying to her falling in love with Gary. Her kids are instantly cool with a new dad figure. I thought that was pretty weird. Dad's is the same, I suppose. Gore, uh, the sisters cut their palms multiple times for blood oaths. No, the cuts don't sell. I wasn't really expecting any gore in this movie. When the husband is killed by a truck, the impact doesn't sell at all either. Sandra's husband was really unimportant though, so who cares, I guess. Practical Magic is a fun time. The only time I was annoyed by the movie was when Faith Hill's This Kiss was randomly blasted at a volume way louder than anything before or after it. You're going to listen to Faith, and you're going to like it, darn it. Check out Practical Magic if you're looking for a goofy, fun witch movie with a lot of heart. I almost forgot to mention that the witch's house has a neat spiral staircase. There are multiple amazing shots that capture the scale of it. Also, they really should have tied up Jimmy before bringing him back to life. You know, just in case he was still violent. Number 5. Villains, 2019, directed by Dan Burke and Robert Olson. A young couple, Mickey and Jules, rob a gas station. While fleeing the scene of the crime, they run out of gas. Jules spots a house. They enter the house and stumble upon a kid locked up in the basement. The homeowners, George and Gloria, show up. Mickey holds them at gunpoint, and Jules demands that they are given the kid. The kid bites Mickey, allowing George to get the upper hand and capture the young couple. Hijinks ensue. Towards the end, George and Gloria believe Mickey and Jules escaped, but they're hiding in the house. They free the kid and get in George's car. George is outside the garage door. 
Mickey rams him with the car, but is shot and killed during the process. George is still alive. The kid shoots and kills George. Jules and the kid then leave Gloria with George's body and start selling seashells on the beach. George and Gloria are the killers. It's heavily alluded that the couple killed others in the past. Villains has some pretty big names in it. Bill Skarsgård plays Mickey. Michael Monroe of It Follows fame plays Jules. Jeffrey Donovan of Burn Notice fame plays George. And Kyra Sedgwick, who's been in a ton of stuff, including The Closer, plays Gloria. Why didn't a movie with a bunch of famous people get a bigger release? I had seen some trailers for villains, but I can't even remember if any were shown at the Alamo Drafthouse or if they even had any showings for the movie. Movie with big name actors with a very limited release. That means villains sucks, right? Right? Villains is a solid flick. Is the plot super unique? Not really. It's your basic captured people have to escape through a series of unfortunate events. Then what makes it great? The directing, cinematography, and acting are stellar. Bill S. can be a creepy boy. I know that. He showed us creepy in It and Castle Rock. In Villains, he showed me some top-tier comedic acting. Not only him, Micah's comedic performance and timing are equally as fantastic. I didn't think Micah was anything special in It Follows, but she, along with Bill, shine as Jules and Mickey. While watching the beginning of the movie, I kept thinking to myself how much less I'd be enjoying my viewing if the actors were changed. There are so many lines of dialogue that would fall completely flat without perfect delivery. Bill S. and Micah's mannerisms and movements really show an understanding of comedic acting that I haven't seen in a majority of modern comedies. That's not to sell Donovan and Sedgwick short, they also give hilarious performances. Donovan made me laugh just by saying, Shepherd's Pie. Most modern day blockbuster comedies forget about visual gags and physical comedy and lean heavily on people delivering jokes in a standard manner. Villains is full of characters with weird tics and interesting camera movement. All the characters stand out in their own unique way. This is the second movie I've seen from Dan Burke and Robert Olson. They also did Body, which like villains took a simple plot and made it fun. I'll definitely check out anything they write and direct in the future. The acting and camera work are amazing. How's the gore? I always gotta bring that up, right? It's great. There isn't a ton, but the gunshots ripped out tongue stud and face to concrete related injuries all look perfect. The production design is also delightful. George and Gloria's home has a vintage aesthetic. Every room looks unique. It just warms my heart to see so much love put into all aspects of a movie. Villains is a highly entertaining thriller that's definitely worth checking out. I hope this isn't Skarsgård and Micah's last brush with comedy. They have the chops. Aw oh, crap, there weren't any witches in this one. Whoops. Number 6, The Wretched, 2019, directed by Brett and Drew Pierce. A babysitter goes to a house to babysit where she finds the mom eating the kid she was supposed to watch in the basement. The sitter ends up locked down there and dies. Years later, a kid named Ben goes to stay with his dad for the summer. One of his neighbors is killed by a witch who then wears the neighbor's skin. The witch starts eating kids and is able to make people forget the kids ever existed. Ben's dad eventually believes him about the witch after finding some pretty damning evidence. The dad's girlfriend then stabs him. 
Turns out it's the witch wearing the girlfriend's skin. A bunch of the witch's stuff catches on fire, which allows people to start remembering kids. Ben remembers he has a younger brother. Ben follows the witch to her witch hole and rescues his brother and another kid. Dad shows up and rams the witch with his car. The witch is defeated. But wait, turns out the witch somehow escaped and is wearing Ben's friend's skin. The witch is the killer. The Wretched. A movie I gave a chance since Bruce Campbell tweeted about it. I'll start off with this simple to answer question. Did I enjoy watching The Wretched? I did. Does it have a ton of problems? Oh boy, does it. The Wretched starts off strong with a babysitter descending into the basement and seeing a mom devouring her child. It's unsettling. And I'm always excited to see when a movie is willing to kill young characters because anyone can die. Great start. Where do things start to sour? Well, right after the initial reveal of Child Chomper, Mom turns around and lets out an ill-fitting, ridiculous monster scream. I'd say the main issue I had with The Wretched was the sound design. Out-of-place sound effects are stacked on top of each other whenever the witch is on screen. Crappy bone-cracking sounds? Check. Ridiculous monster growls? Check. That classically awful pig squeal? It makes it in there at the end. Not only are the sound effect choices heinous, like the ridiculous video game gore sound that goes kind of like that accompanies a cop who shoots himself in the head to end the witch's control over him, the score is also overbearing and hammy. I don't need to be blasted with cheesy music whenever the witch is on screen to tell me she's spooky. The first time you get a good look at the witch, she's creeping on a porch and actually looks freaky. I want to say this is the only time silly music doesn't accompany the witch. Silence is golden. That's something that up-and-coming filmmakers need to take to heart. Silence is golden and less is more. Chill out with the wacky sound effects and let the effects team work speak for itself. The witch design until we enter the witch hole is great. The clawed hands, loose skin, glowing eyes, and skull mask all come together to make a strong witch. Once we go into the witch hole, we see the witch's regular face and it looks like a really bad Halloween zombie mask, but up until that reveal, I completely dug the look of the witch. The witch digging out of animals and people also looks fantastic. Really good work. Kind of, pet warning. That cop I brought up a little bit ago shoots a dog. Luckily that dog was way too badass to die, so you see the scamp chilling wrapped in a bandage at the end of the movie. After the witch takes over the neighbor, she looks real messed up. Her husband comes into the room, says a quick goodbye, and takes off. The man must have the worst perception in the world. I understand that this dad didn't care about his missing baby because the witch made him forget it existed, but at that point in the movie, there's no reason for him to see his been-through-hell-looking wife and not be concerned. You're supposed to think the guy is stupid, but I can't believe that he's that stupid. The acting isn't anything to write home about. No one does a great job. John Paul Howard plays Ben, and his performance was on the weak side. A stronger lead, better sound design, and less full-on witch would have elevated The Wretched to a much higher tier. It's a fun watch, but it's not a great movie. Check this out if you want to watch something with some spooky bits that can be clowned on.
For a better witch movie, check out Pie Wacket. Number 7, Castlevania, 2017 onwards, created by Warren Ellis. I finally started watching Netflix's Castlevania. It's a fun time. The basic plot is this. Dracula goes nuclear after some dumbass religious dudes make his wife all crispy. I really like that the church is the bad guy. You can say Dracula is too, I guess. I mean, his demon hordes are slaughtering all of humanity, and not everyone was down to clown with the church. I still hate the church way more than Dracula. Anyway, the first season has a Belmont drunk meet up with Drax, baby boy Alucard, and a speaker mage. They start a new super team and decide it's time to stop Dracula. Castlevania has a bunch of neat animated gore. People are torn apart by demons and vampires. Heads, limbs, guts flying everywhere. The voice acting is solid. I watch anime regularly enough in Japanese, so it took me an episode to get used to the English. Castlevania's original language is English. The animation reminds me of the Boondocks. It doesn't appear that it's the same company, though. I remember the Boondocks animation being a bit better than Castlevania's. That's not to say that Castlevania's is bad, it's just a little stiff at times. I still have more to watch, but I'm enjoying it. I haven't played any of the games, so you don't have to worry about having game knowledge to get into it. I also rewatched Seven. That movie is still a masterpiece. Do yourself a favor and watch it if you haven't. That's a wrap on Blank is the Killer 70, Action Witches, Ordinary Witches, and Cursed Witches. A lot of witches this episode. As always, a big thanks to you, the very attractive listener, for listening to this podcast. If you dug it, leave a rating on iTunes. Thanks to Sticker Fridge for hosting the podcast. Go listen to Director Showdown, another show on the network. The next episode of Blank is the Killer will be out on May 17th. I don't have a theme in mind for that one, but I can promise you the new Hulark will be on there. Until then, don't bring anyone back to life. It's not worth it. They are just going to come back even suckier than they were before.